0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hillier. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, Coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at The My Fit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at DJHillier.com. So let's get to it.
1: Hey, everybody, welcome back. This is DJ Hillier, and you are listening to another edition of The My Fit Podcast. I am particularly excited this week, more than usual weeks, because the MyFit podcast has agreed to bring on two brand new sponsors to the show. Companies that I believe in, I use their products, and I think you guys will benefit from it as well. And if you follow me on social media, you know what the first one is, and that's the company Legends, and it's my favorite apparel. I've been wearing Legends at the gym uh, when I'm training, when I'm when I'm training others, when I'm working out, when I'm out of the gym, pretty much everywhere I go for the last few months, and I love what they are doing. Legends makes high-quality performance apparel with a style that is on point for all-day wear. And the best part, they are an athlete-owned company. Top from across the NBA, NFL, and the people like Baker Mayfield, Marlon Humphrey, Matt Barnes, Steve Nash, and more are all a part of the ownership group at Legends. So do yourself a favor. my code. MI Fit 15. So capital M, capital I, capital capital I, capital T, 15 during checkout to save yourself 15% on your order. If you're not sure what to buy, there's a lot on the website. My personal favorite is the Luca HD shorts. They're the best shorts I've had. They're very light, especially if you're doing CrossFit. I think you will enjoy these as well. So check out Legends Clothing and use code MI Fit 15 during checkout. The second company that I'm super excited to bring uh, with the MyFit podcast, is a company called beam and it's a supplement company that uses cbd and in their products they have several different products but their most common uh, most popular uh, highest selling product that i use is called dream and those of you guys that have listened to the show for a while you've heard what the benefits are of getting a great night's sleep and what that means for recovery what it means for your training and how and also what it means for longevity Check out the product Dream by Beam for better sleep. Uh, we've been taking it here at the house for a couple months. Uh, Thirty minutes before bed, it tastes like hot chocolate, and I tell you what, it knocks out completely, gets you into a very deep sleep, and you will not regret it when you wake up. Sometimes uh, we've been talking to, to some people about Beam, and the and the common response or feedback is, it doesn't matter how much it costs to a good night's sleep, it is invaluable and irreplaceable. So check out. Uh, The products with the company Beam, specifically my favorite, the product Dream. And again, you can use the same code as you did with Legends, MyFit15 for 15% off your purchase. All right, let's transition to the show today. Today on the show, I chat with William B. Irvin, otherwise known as Bill Irvin. This is stoicism and is a professor of philosophy at Wright State University. He is a author of set books, including The Stoic Challenge and A Guide to the Good Life. Bill has also written for The Wall Street Journal, Huffington Post, Salon, Time, and BBC. As many people know, I have a deep passion for all things stoicism, and after reading William's book, I was getting him on the show to take a deeper dive. To me, stoicism is a philosophy of life that can have a drastic impact on your life, and in other words, can be practiced in a three-day weekend. Some of the topics we got into today were how Bill got started on his stoic path, and that w- what led him to be a professor. We talked about what does it mean to be a good life. Also, what are three stoic practices that we can all do when faced with adversity? And then we talked about um, the meat of the conversation was how to better view facts. And that's kind of what his book is about, a stoic challenge and how we can all do a better job at viewing. What is a setback? How can we overcome these things and not let them take over our lives? We can put more control and ownership into our lives. After that, we talked about what does it mean to be calm and resilient and how can we define those two words and why are they so then we talked about how do stoics view failure? And then we ended with uh, he and I both shared our favorite Stoic quotes and why they've had such a major impact on our lives. If you guys enjoy philosophy, Stoicism as much as I do, and you've enjoyed the shows in the past where I've talked to people about this topic, you will love this show as well. Bill is a fantastic speaker and an even better writer. So if you guys enjoyed this show, be sure to dial it back into other Stoic episodes that I've done. I'll attach those in the show notes and give a uh, go buy Bill's book, the latest one that uh, the this podcast is about is titled "The Stoic Challenge: A Philosopher's Guide to Becoming Tougher, Calmer, and More Resilient." All right, guys, thank you for sticking through this longer introduction. I hope you have a great Tuesday, and let's get to it with Bill Irvin. Let's go, Bill Irvin. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. I've been following your content and just finished up reading your book, "The Stoic Challenge: A Philosopher's Guide to Becoming Tougher." calmer and more resilient. And it's just an absolute honor to have you on the show today. Oh, thank you very much for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. Cool. We've had a couple talks about stoicism on this podcast thus far, and it's gotten really great feedback. And I was first introduced to stoicism uh, probably four years ago now when I was handed the Daily Stoic, and I've been reading it every day since. And I just love starting my day off with a little bit of stoicism. I'm curious to start the show. Can we talk a little bit about how did you first get involved in stoicism and what has your path been like since getting involved?
0: Uh, I first encountered Stoicism as an undergraduate. Uh, this would be back in 19, in the early 1970s, long, long ago. But I encountered them in a strange way. I encountered them in a logic class, not in a philosophy class, because it turns out uh, they wore many, many different hats. And one of them, they were the preeminent logicians of their time and uh, took great strides in developing propositional logic, which is what's used in computers. Now this we're talking first century um, AD, so they were way ahead of their time, but uh, that was the interesting thing. You know, I was a philosophy major, but we didn't talk about their philosophy for having a good life. We talked about their logic, mm. and you know, when I would ask my professors, well, well, they did other things too. And they would say, "Well, nothing, nothing really worth thinking about, because we philosophers we don't talk about that, you know, good life stuff. We have like uh, these questions that have been asked for two thousand years. We we like to to think about those instead." And I I sort of went with the flow. Um, uh, Went on to have a career uh, as a philosophy uh, professor. I teach at Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio, Um, and. so you know, to get promoted and to get pay raises, uh, typically what you need is um, you, you need to write uh, you, you need to write something for publication, and it can be scholarly articles, which I've done. Uh, you can also do books, which I've done. But when I turned about um, forty, uh, I, I seemed to undergo some kind of maybe closer to fifty a, a midlife crisis, very low grade midlife crisis. And I decided I was going to become a Zen Buddhist. And then uh, also being a, a philosophy professor, I thought it was a wonderful chance for a twofer that is two for the price of one. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is I would uh, examine, explore Zen Buddhism and write a book about what I found. And then I realized that for the book to be kind of uh, um, Academically uh, appropriate, I needed to look at the the alternatives to Zen Buddhism and uh, uh, encountered Stoicism. Uh, Both Zen Buddhism and Stoicism offer a philosophy of life that is, the question of what should your ultimate goal in living be. So, from second to second, minute to minute, you form a variety of goals. And um, the interesting question is, okay, but these are goals toward what bigger goal? Mm -hmm. And you might say, well, today I'm going to complete the following report because I want to impress my boss. Okay, well, why do you want to impress your boss? Well, because I'll get a pay raise. Okay, why do you want a pay raise? Well, there's this really hot new car that I've been reading about. I want that car. Well, why do you want that car? And we can follow the chain. And uh, there have been many wise people in the last uh, more than 2,000 years who said? You know, that's just that's just all uh, kind of noise in in daily existence. You should have a broader plan, and that is the plan for your entire life. So, if somebody asks you, um, "What is your goal in living? what well, What would count when all was said and done? What would count as a successful life? Yeah. Would you simply say, "Well, look at all the toys I acquired," or look at all the um, um, awards I received? Or would or would you? wants something else and there have been any number of people who said well what you should want is a good life okay well, fair enough but what what's a good life is it a life with lots of stuff a good life is one uh, this is one definition for it uh, is a tranquil life but that's a a kind of a tricky word because when i say tranquility you know you you imagine somebody who's kind of like numb to emotions who doesn't experience highs and lows right. But the, uh, the idea was what you should do is have a life that has relatively few negative emotions, and that is emotions like anger and anxiety and uh, envy and regret. Um, but uh, it's okay to have positive emotions such as what? Feelings of delight, uh, a sense of awe, uh, feelings of joy. And so when you look back on it, uh, that's what you should be trying to do. You should be trying to reduce the number of negative emotions you experience, increase the number of positive emotions you experience, and you know, because you could have all the toys in the world, you know, the cars and everything else, but but if you didn't actually enjoy them, and it's possible to have a bunch of material stuff and not enjoy it, uh, and it's possible to have next to nothing materially speaking, but to derive great enjoyment uh, from it. So, um, I realized, and I was startled when I realized it, that, that the Zen Buddhists and the Stoics shared the same big goal in living, and that is this state of tranquility. And I was, I was shocked, you know, well, no, that couldn't be because Zen Buddhists are kind of mellow, you know, and, and Stoics have this certain reputation. Um, and then I realized, ah, they shared the same goal, but they had two different strategies for attainment of that goal. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, it's an important, it's an important thing because in life, you can find two people who have the same goal, but who have radically different ways of trying to get where they're going. And you also realize that if you went to a wise man, you know, and he said, here is what you should try to achieve in life, uh, then the follow-up question is, yeah, okay, great. How? And if they said, well, I don't know, but you know, that's where you should be headed. You should be t- headed toward that, a grand goal in living. That simply wouldn't be helpful. For instance, um, I've gotten better at this, but I used to go in for my annual physical and my doctor would say, how much sleep are you getting? And I'd tell him, and he said, you, you, you should sleep more than that. And you know, it's sort of like, I agree with you. How, how do you suggest, you know, and then there'd be some kind of rough uh, uh, ideas about um, how to accomplish that. Mm -hmm. So um, to be useful, a philosopher, uh, whether he be a Stoic or whether he be a Zen Buddhist, should not only tell you where you should be aiming, but should provide you with a roadmap for how to get there. Mm. Uh, And it turned out that the Zen Buddhists simply had a, a radically different roadmap than the Stoics did. Uh, Zen Buddhism, if you want to become a Zen Buddhist, what do you do? Well, you meditate. Uh, I think uh, it's there are other things you can do as well. You can attempt to solve koans. There's a whole practice that goes into it. And I think it's valuable, uh, really important that everybody meditate at least once. Uh, and that is uh, do this uh, called Zazen meditation meditation simply uh, sit in a, in a quiet place and let your mind go empty because you'll make a really, it can be a life-changing discovery. And that is how hard it is to make your mind go empty. And you don't make it go empty. You let it go empty. How your brain is just chattering away nonstop. So you'll sit there and you'll say, well, that, that's absolutely easy. And um and then 15 seconds later, you'll realize that you're thinking about some some mean things somebody said to you two days ago. Right. And then you'll say, okay, okay, but I got, got to just not think. And you'll think you're in the groove. And then you'll realize, oh, I'm thinking about what I want for dinner tonight. So your mind is just always awash, these kind of random thoughts popping into it. Mm-hmm. And you realize you don't have ownership of your own mind. Mm. You take ownership of the ideas you find there, and you think, well, I found that idea there, so it must be my idea because it was in my mind. But there are just these deeper sources there, Uh, and this is as a result of your evolutionary past and the way you're wired. There are these deeper forces there that are trying to push these ideas into your mind. Mm -hmm. And then the question for you is, okay, so what do I do? I've got these ideas there. So, Zen Buddhists said… You need to do meditation. Uh, You you need to do meditation for an extended period of time. Sometimes you need to do extended meditation sessions. You need to go out way on retreats where you meditate uh, for most of every day, seven days a week, or even for longer than that. And then what follows from that? Well, you will have, now there are a whole bunch of different forms of uh, meditation. Meditation can take a whole bunch of different forms that Zen Buddhism can take. But they said, you will have your moment of enlightenment. Okay, when? Ah, that depends. It could be tomorrow and it could be in 30 years, but you'll know it when it comes. Okay, if there are any practicing Zen Buddhists in your audience, (laughs) I am not trying to talk down uh, Zen Buddhism. I'm trying to contrast it. And I've been told by um, the one Zen Buddhist master that I've, uh, I've gotten to know, uh, and he says that Stoicism and Zen Buddhism are entirely compatible, so mm-hmm. they aren't uh, opposite things. But then I started looking at um, Stoicism and realized that uh, Stoicism, it, it's just got a much lower price of admission. So, uh, to be a Zen Buddhist, you're, you're going to have to meditate. You're going to have to do it over an extended period. You're going to wait for results that might come tomorrow or might come in, uh, in decades. Uh, Stoicism offers you a different way to attain this goal. In particular, they provide you with specific strategies for avoiding uh, negative Emotions and for maximizing the impact of the positive emotions you experience, mm-hmm. and we can explore those uh, specific strategies later. Mm-hmm. But here's the amazing thing. Um, um, so my, my my standard line is: on a three day weekend, you can learn enough about stoicism, sure. and you can practice it. Attempt to practice it enough to know whether it's going to work for you. And you don't need to shave your head. You, know, you don't need to, to do any of that stuff, but you can experiment with it. You can learn who these people were. You can learn the general idea of what they thought. And most importantly, you can take the strategies which don't involve meditation in the zen sense of meditation but meditation in in another sense you can give those a try in your own life Mm -hmm. and uh the the claim is um i know in my case it was just i was stunned by how uh, easy they were to learn easy they were to implement and how effective they were you know you could just sort of see wow this has changed my life Mm -hmm. Uh, so anyway i came out went into this project i told you a book and it was going to be about philosophies of life, and it was going to be my uh, entree into um, uh, Zen Buddhism, came out thinking, ah, well, uh, I want to be a Stoic. Um, and so, anyway, that book became the book uh, published back in 2006, I think, uh, called On Desire, Why We Want What We Want. Mm. And uh, so that for me was a turning point. And that's how I stumbled, actually, re-stumbled across Stoicism because I, like I said, I did it as an undergraduate in college, and then uh, did it again. You know, as a, as a fifty year old, and uh, and was just taken away. So as a result, I wrote uh, Guide to the Good Life. You mentioned uh, a minute ago, mm-hmm. and um, and that was my. Uh, My attempt to share what I had found with the world, you know, I thought this is such neat stuff and uh, the world seems pretty much uh, oblivious to it and got to get the message out. Mm -hmm. So um, that's how I became a stoic.
1: What a great uh, answer. There's so many things to unpack. There are two things that popped out in my mind. The the first one was the idea of slowing down. And a lot of my listeners do CrossFit, and CrossFit is a very intense uh, sport uh, training methodology. There's a lot going on, it's very chaotic in a small time. And a a coach of mine taught me that if you can't control your thoughts and mind in a chaotic time, how do you think you're going to be able to do it when you're supposed to be able to slow down? And so, what I've been trying to do is slow down and have these 10 minutes, just 10 minutes each night of meditation where there is no distraction. It's just me. I'm either listening to a prompt or just trying to drown out uh, other thoughts. And I've seen the carryover once it gets into sport, once it gets into fitness, how when things are crazy and chaotic and and the world wants to speed up, I'm able to control my thoughts and have ownership of slowing things down. I think that's super powerful, whether you're in sport or not in sport, just being able to control the speed, which is around us. Because I think a lot of our, our society, the world we're living in is very fast. It's very fast moving. So can you slow down and be in control of your thoughts?
0: Yeah. Uh, we, so before you hit record here, we had a little chat. And um, you know, the, the interesting thing is, and I talked about the voices that uh come into your head. Uh so uh uh two days ago, I did uh three days ago, I did uh well I'm I'm a rower and uh so in the off season uh we erg, that's the rowing machine. Yeah, we, and, we do too. Oh good, okay. Yep. And uh, they have uh, virtual competitions, which I've uh, participated in. Very cool. Uh, I'm I'm not a very good rower, but my heart's in it. And, you know, and and we can develop this thought too. Uh, One of the reasons I row is simply it's part of my stoic practice. So, it isn't sort of like I'm a rower who practices stoicism so I can row better. No, I'm a stoic who rows so Very I can cool. do my stoicism better. Very cool. But these notions, um, so the race I did uh, was, uh, this was for for lightweights only, it was a, a regatta. Uh, and the race I did was 2,000 uh, meters of virtual rowing on uh, on an erg. Yep. And uh, took me about eight minutes. Uh, and the interesting thing is, and you just learn that this is how it works. So early on, the first 500 meters, I'm the king of the world. Feeling I'm good. cruising along. Um, second 500, you know, I'm thinking, ah, you know, maybe today isn't the day. Uh, 1,200 meters, this is out of 2,000, 1,200 meters in, a voice starts up in my head and I call it the just quit voice. I call it lazy bill, okay? And the voice just says, you know, you could just quit. You don't have to be doing this. You could just quit. That's like 1,200 meters in. By 1,500 meters, it had been joined with the uh, the uh, mental equivalent of the Mormon tabernacle choir, you know, singing, just quit, just quit. And um, the interesting thing is, I consider a competition. One of the things I'm doing is I get a front row seat for these voices, and I get to engage in hand-to-hand combat with these voices, and I get to tell them, I'm in charge here. You're, you're, You're just these slinky creatures that lurk in the back of my mind and come out and try to prevent me from being the best me that I can be, and I'm in charge here. And you just gut it through. And, you know, it's just amazing how hard it is. Uh, When the race finally ends, you know, the last stroke is just one of the (laughs) finest things there is. Uh, And then the race finally ends and you realize, so what have I just accomplished here? I felt fine before the race started. Now I feel like I've got an advanced case of COVID and I, um, you know, coughed for the next uh, two hours and, uh, did not win, um, uh, but uh, still very, very much worth doing mm-hmm. because you learn if you do an event like that, you learn that it's supposed to feel bad. You learn that the voices are going to come out. You learn that the voices can control you, but you can control them too. Um, so the whole notion, and I think you can make them work for you, you know, you can, you can actually uh, turn it around. Absolutely. But that question of just uh, taking time, slowing down, emptying your mind uh, is, is wonderful advice. I've got a very, very busy mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to consciously transition uh, to, to a, a different state. Uh, when I'm competing, um, you know, it's just a different world. I set foot in a different world where the old problems are replaced by new problems, new problems I need to contend with.
1: Mm-hmm. And anybody that's been in athletics, whether you're doing it for fun or or more for leisure, they understand and they know that setbacks happen. And that's what a majority of your, your book uh, talks about is overcoming setbacks, viewing setbacks. Can we open that up a little bit, Bill? Can we talk a little bit about what are some of the common mistakes people make when they go through setbacks and how can we overcome some of this stuff? And maybe we can frame it more in athletics.
0: Yeah. Setbacks. Uh, anytime life doesn't deal you the hand you want, that counts as a setback. And so some setbacks are tiny little things. You go to brush your teeth and you realize you're out of toothpaste. That's a setback, tiny little setback, uh, bigger setback, uh, you uh, go to start your car and your car uh, doesn't start and you've got an appointment, an important appointment to go to. Uh, That's a setback, bigger setback. Still, you're out for a walk, you slip on some leaves, you break your knee. Ooh, that's going to be a setback. And of course, the ultimate setback is death. And you have this whole range to go through. And um, the interesting thing is, how you respond to the setbacks, because the the natural response the built in response to setbacks is by um, playing the role of victim yep I didn't deserve this. This is so unfair, and uh people people will uh will play that game. Um, the Stoics and this uh, uh, in the last uh, half century. Psychologists like uh, Daniel Kahneman and, and Am- Amos Tversky have, uh, have have rediscovered this, but the Stoics realized, you know, we may not be able to control what setbacks we experience, but we have this remarkable ability to choose the frame we put the setback in. So it's like a it's like a picture. You know, you got a picture. Is it a, a, a an attractive picture or an ugly picture? Well, you know, it kind of depends on the frame you put it in. And if you put it in the right frame, you can actually make it look um, uh, quite attractive to the eye. Same thing with the events of your life. So you can take an event and you can say, uh, I'm being victimized. Poor, poor, pitiful me. Everybody, look, feel sorry for me because this happened. And you probably know people who routinely uh, do that. Which is unfortunate because uh, it's a it's a recipe for a miserable existence. Or you can reframe the thing that happened. Uh, uh, that is, you can put it into a context. So uh, I describe many different possible ways you can frame, uh, reframe a setback. One is you can do a comedic frame. You can turn it into a kind of joke. Takes a little bit of of intelligence on your part. But you can take something that you could treat as, uh, as a, a, a terrible attack and instead you can joke about it. So, uh, for instance, in response to insults, one way to prevent an insult from doing you harm, an insult is just words. One way to prevent it from doing uh, you harm is to laugh it off right? Turn it into a joke. Uh, So, one example is if somebody comes up and and points out to you uh, one character flaw, right? I mean, you know, as a thoughtful person, you should sort of think, hmm, are they right? You know, do I need to work on this? But a quick response is, you know, if that's the worst thing you can insult me with, then it's clear you don't know me well enough to be insulting me. You, You really don't know me because there are much worse things. Uh, and, and the amazing thing is you watch the the insulter is deflated. you know here he, he hit you with what he thought was uh, his best shot, and you just laughed it off. Mm-hmm. There are other uh, frames you can uh, put things in. we already discussed one of them, and that 's the uh, a blame frame where uh, you think you 've been mistreated uh, and it 's a really interesting difference but When something bad happens to you, and more precisely, when somebody does something bad to you, you have a choice. You can say um, that you were the victim of injustice, or you can say that you were the target of injustice. And it's a huge psychological difference. So, let me back up there for a second. Mm -hmm. So, we think of the Stoics as um, philosophers, Mm -hmm. but in fact, they were the preeminent psychologists of their time and they had wonderful insights that have only been rediscovered and studied you know, scientifically in the last few decades. But this whole notion of the frame just has a profound impact uh, on uh, your response to it. So, if you play the role of victim, uh, you're going to feel like a victim. And if you play the role of a target, see, that's the interesting thing is, then it becomes a kind of a challenge. Hey, you know what? Somebody is out to get me so i'm going to show them mm. that it's not going to work um and you're not going to sort of dwell or wallow in in what happened to you you're you're instead you're going to emit this vibe of i will rise above uh this um uh, you know it comes uh, up in connection with um you know topics like um like racism and uh th- there is a difference between saying you're the victim of racism and saying you're the target. Uh, And so I'll turn here to Martin Luther King, uh, who was clearly the target of a very intense kind of racism, but he considered himself a target. He didn't play the role of victim. And think if he had, think if he had how different the world could be right now, Mm -hmm. because he would have simply said, oh, this is so unfair, rather than saying uh, we are better than this. Mm-hmm. We can do better than this, a yeah. challenge to us. So in the book, The Stoic Challenge, uh, I describe one a curious kind of frame that you can put things in. So when something bad happens to you, one of the ways you can deal with it is uh, by imagining. So it's kind of a, a game you're playing. You're imagining that what's happened is uh, the Stoic gods are testing you by giving you this setback. Mm so it 's unpleasant, um, but here's the source it 's Stoic gods. now a whole bunch of clarification is in order. Number one, do I think stoic gods actually exist? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, number two, are stoic gods incompatible with capital G God? No, they're not. you know so you can have religious beliefs and still still do this it's a psychological a uh, mechanism. It's a psychological device. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to talk in terms of stoic gods, you could talk about an imaginary coach, for instance, or an imaginary mentor uh, who has done this to you. Why? Is it to punish you? No, it's to make you stronger. And uh, if you're an athlete, you know the job of a coach is not to pamper you. The job of a coach is to push you hard to the edge of what you can do. How come? Because you will then be a better athlete. You'll be able to better perform in whatever competitions you're in. In conjunction with rowing, uh, typical rowing workout, you'll do interval training. And you'll, uh, for instance, you might, your coach might say, okay, we're going to do 10 500s. And, uh, you know, and this can be people, rowers in a single, you know, it can be eight people in a boat. There's a bunch of different ways you can mix and match it. Um, might say, uh, we're going to do 10 of these. And uh, so you, you have that in mind and you set off and you're sort of saving energy. You know it by the 10th one. You want to be just on the verge of collapse because you, your coach is going to be looking at you and you better not make him upset. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I read about a coach who uh, did that. And then the, uh, the athletes were just all crushed in a state of disarray. And then he said, okay, we're going to do four more. You know, at first complaints, Mm -hmm. what it's impossible, but they did four more and did them credibly, right? Isn't that just astonishing because that coach by pushing them, you can say, oh, he was abusing them or you can say, no, he was helping them discover an inner strength they had that they didn't know was there. And he's done them a big favor in doing that. Mm -hmm. So, Stoic gods have that approach. They look at you and they say, you know what? Because we care about you and your well-being, we're going to test you we're going to give you these little challenges because someday life will give you big challenges and we want you ready. We want you ready for the big game mm-hmm. when the big game uh, comes along. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the only way to do that is to stay, uh, stay in fighting trim, you know, right. be, be, be ready to go. Mm-hmm. So one of the things you do as a stoic, there are uh, strategies you can use, but one thing you do as a background activity is what I call stoic training. So um, you're not only uh, learning how to deal with life setbacks, you're doing things that you know are likely to trigger setbacks just so you can practice dealing with the setbacks. Intentionally. Intentionally. You're making your life harder than it needs to be. Um, I think a lot, of, a,
1: a lot of people just said, what? What did you say? Yeah, said?
0: yeah, yeah. No, I would have said that it's crazy, but I I understand it, uh, I understand it perfectly well. Uh, so, um, you know, and there are people who, yeah, when I tell friends, you know, what are you doing this weekend? Uh, Well, I'm going to do something that's going to make me feel uh, in eight minutes, make me go from somebody who feels perfectly happy to somebody who thinks he's dying of COVID. (laughs) Why would you do that? And then you try, you try to, to get into the explanation of it. Um, but the, the interesting thing is it's this intense kind of training, and the goal is to become more resilient. You want to you pass these tests, so I describe them as tests. How do you pass a test? Uh, number one, they are self-graded. The stoic odds do not descend and hand you a, a report card or, or anything else. Uh, to pass them, you need to do two things. First, you need to find a successful workaround to whatever it was you encountered. Uh, so, uh, you overcome the test. You, you, yeah, yeah, you know, you, there was a setback, but you found a workaround for the setback. Second, very important thing is you kept calm and cool as you did it. You didn't break down and wallow and ask for pity or anything else. You just said, Oh, it's a setback. You rose to the challenge. You even greeted it. You know, that was uh, one thing uh, when uh, COVID a bit more than a year now uh, came up uh, and it happened, you know, different people responded to it in different ways. Mm -hmm. And I regarded it as yes, you know, tragic people were were dying, but at the same time, it sounds strange to say again, but I perked up a bit. I thought, oh, Mm -hmm. this is an excellent test Mm -hmm. because I'm going to have to change my life. I'm going to have to find workarounds. There are any number of things that I used to do automatically. I can't do them anymore. I'm going to have to look for silver linings where uh, they aren't apparent, but, you know, they're there. You mm-hmm. just have to uh, find them. For me, one silver lining was I took up cycling, which turns out it just added another dimension to That's my right. existence so um that's what these stoic tests are and it's a way to frame when something bad happens to you Mm -hmm. Uh, i mentioned you know i said you're getting ready for the big game Uh, from the stoic point of view uh, the big game is uh your death uh here's some news for you you will die it's gonna happen because you're mortal and uh that for from a stoic's point of view that's the big game that's the big test uh, the one that, uh, that, that this training is ultimately for. The training will help you along the way, so don't get me wrong about that. It's not just a payoff at the end. If you have friends who have avoided stoic tests, who have avoided doing difficult things, when, some, when something difficult does come along and happen to them, they're going to feel it so intensely. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have gone out of your way to uh, make your life challenging, when a challenge comes along, you'll barely even notice it. So, for instance, uh, training in rowing, uh, we spend a fair amount of time <laughs> uh, minimally dressed out in dark and cold. Um, <laughs> and I'm ashamed to admit I have uh, rowed in the snow even. And you know, you you do these intense workouts, and you you go through the whole range of temperatures. And summer, it's hot and uh, you're, you're tired. If you're lifting weights too, you're going to be, uh, muscles are going to ache mm-hmm. and, you know, I'll, I'll be there like that. And I'll have a friend who will say, um, you know, today, uh, my, my elbow is a bit sore. Right. And I'll start thinking and I'll think, yeah, both my elbows are sore. My legs are sore. Yeah. My back is sore. Um, Oh, you're fogging up a little. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, my back is sore. So, um, Yeah, I'm sore too. Except the interesting thing is, for me, it's just background. For me, it's just the way things are. Mm -hmm. And if something does happen to challenge the way things are, uh, it's not going to be a big deal for me. It's Mm -hmm. just going to be, oh, it's just more of that. And you know what? I know I can handle that Mm -hmm. because I've handled it before. I've handled it routinely. Mm -hmm. So bring it on, stoic gods, Mm -hmm. because
1: you've met your match here. Mm And it seems like nothing can, you know, stop you and overcome you in that sense. I want to go back a little bit, Bill, and kind of give you some follow-ups here. So we're looking at the three ways to overcome some of these, you know, uh, problems or challenges that arise. You you said the target versus the victim. I want you to tell me, what does that look like? If somebody, you know, a lot of people are doing CrossFit. They're listening to the show or they're into their fitness. What does target versus victim look like uh, after a bad performance? What are some things that you should be saying if we want to be target and not a victim after a bad performance? Okay, bad performance means what? See, that's an interesting
0: question. Uh so uh I mentioned that I was in this uh, erg race. Um uh, uh I came in third place. Now, don't ask me how many how many ergs were in my race because there were 3. <laughs> oh yeah, I could also have said I came in last place, sure. but no, I came in third place. Let's see how far behind the leader was I? Mm, he probably sat around for a minute before I got done. So um, was that a bad race? Uh, no, it wasn't. I regarded it as a successful race because for me, I raced, uh, would have been nice to get medal or whatever. Would have been nice to beat somebody else. But for me, the race is simply an aspect of my stoic training, my practice of stoicism. I do the race as a um, um, manifestation of my stoic practice. Um, so, what's, what's the goal? Uh, the goal is to do something difficult just because it's difficult. My goal is to do something that in the ordinary course of things, of events, I wouldn't want to do. My, uh, my goal is to have a plan, a strategy for preparing for it, because you know that's the part I can control. So, the part I can control, I'm going to control with great care. So I'm going to train and work hard. Uh, the part I can't control is you know the competition. These guys are just—they're my age, but they're really good. I don't have a rower's body. Yeah, I can't help that, but I can still do it. So I would regard it as uh, successful. And when I got done, you know, I, I realized well, you know, uh, by one measure I came in last by far. On another major. Uh, Measure, I'm very happy about this because it would have been so easy not to do it at all. It would have been so easy to quit mid race. I didn't do any of those things. And um, so I regarded that as a success. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, in the eyes of others, you know, somebody might say, well, that's just loser talk. You lost. No, no, no. I'm playing a different game than you're playing. I'm playing the stoic game. You're playing a sport which is perfectly fine. That means you're normal, by the way. So that's perfectly fine. But for me, this is one aspect of a a much more important game of um, preparing myself for life setbacks uh, so I can have a a better life.
1: Very cool. And the third one was the stoic challenge. I I, I like to give my listeners... um, very applicable or visionary things to think about and something that when you were going through the Stoic Challenge, what c- came into my mind was uh, the airport. For some reason, there are a lot of things that are out of your control at the airport. I'm thinking lost bags, your flight gets delayed, flight gets canceled. You're, there's so many things that that happen. I don't know why. The airport just came up. Talk to me about how can we use, give me an example of, of the Stoic Challenge uh, being portrayed in an airport situation when you don't have any control, Bill. What does that look like?
0: Yeah. So, when you do experience a setback, the setback has two aspects. First, there's the setback itself. Uh, so, they announce the flight has been delayed, and uh, then there's, there's that. Oh, well, gee, that means I'm going to have to sit here for another uh, few hours or maybe even have to stay overnight here. Uh, uh, that means I'm going to arrive at my destination late. That means that the things I had planned to do tomorrow have all got to be shifted. That's one setback there's potentially a much bigger setback, and that is the impact that first setback has on your emotional state. Mm-hmm. So, there are people who, on hearing that, getting that news, are going to get angry, are going to get upset, are going to uh, play the role of victim. They're going to they're do a, a bunch of things like that. Uh, a stoic who's atop his stoic game will hear that and say, and look skyward to where the imaginary stoic gods uh, uh, exist. Uh, I, I really haven't worked out the theology of this very much, but look skyward and said, okay, I'm up for this challenge. By the way, I've told you, I, I think they're imaginary gods. I do talk to them on a routine basis. They have not yet talked back to me. And I have a doctor friend who says that's good, that's good. that I should let them know when they do talk back to me because we had be issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that can be a, a symptom of, of something else. But, you know, it just puts a completely different spin on it. And it allows me, because remember, to pass it, what do you have to do? You have to find the successful workaround, yep. and you have to remain calm and cool uh, while implementing that workaround. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, y- so while other people are getting angry, uh, you're there saying, that's nah, it's part of a test. Part of a test and the way I can rise above that test is by simply not getting angry, by simply uh, not allowing myself to do that. In fact, in a way, I can make the anger work for me, you know, because it becomes like a, a team sport where the anger is, oh, yeah, you know, those stoic gods, let's show them. By remaining calm and cool instead of uh, instead of getting upset, yeah. In the book, I think I have two different uh, stories about um, about airlines. I make the joke that uh, uh, wherever it is that the Stoic gods reside, I think some of them hang out at the airport because that's where so many of these uh, weird setbacks uh, happen. Uh, the other joke is that they're also tech savvy. Because how many times have I been on deadline trying to complete something on my computer and it crashes, right? And and you know, and again, you think, ah, this is this is yet another uh, another test. So it's a it's a psychological device, right? Um, And if if you don't want to think in terms of stock odds, you can imagine, you know, there's this imaginary coach who is testing me. Is it because he hates me? No, he wants me to be stronger. He wants me to re to be resilient. He wants me to bounce, learn how to bounce rather than breaking. Because if I can do that, I'll have a much better life mm-hmm. than if I play the role of victim, that if I'm constantly angry at life's little setbacks.
1: There are two big words that you use both in your title and also in the second ways to overcome some challenges, it's the word calm. This might be a very dumb grade A level question here, but just tell me why is calmness so crucial to Stoics? Uh, calmness
0: is is the absence of negative emotions why are negative emotions bad because they feel bad a positive emotions like feelings of delight uh feel good uh and so we're trying to avoid the negative emotions notice i didn't say we're trying to suppress the negative emotions mm. we're trying to prevent them from happening in the first place so there's nothing to suppress That's and there's a
1: there's a difference there
0: Yes. There's a common misperception that Stoics simply know how to keep it bottled in. No, no, no. It's much, much better than that. They don't have anything to bottle in because they found this, this trick. So when you are at the airport and when they announce that, hey, the flight has been canceled, uh, I call it the five-second rule. You know, there's the, the one that says if food falls on the floor, you have five seconds to pick it up. Uh, I don't think that's medically accurate, but I, I'm 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 going to run with another version of it. That when you hear a setback, you've got five seconds for you to internally declare it as, "Oh, it's a challenge that I've got to rise to," and it kind of nips whatever anger. Uh, it nips it in the bud. And so you don't even experience it. So you don't have to overcome it. You don't have to deal with it, which is wonderful because most of the time on a setback, what does you the most harm is your emotional response to the setback. So calm means what? Means the absence of negative emotions, but you embrace positive emotions. Um, Delight is a wonderful positive emotion massively underrated Uh, so you know i i can go walk outside and see the blue sky and you know just say you know the sky didn't have to be blue but it is Mm -hmm. a slightly different shade of blue from hour to hour and what if there are clouds oh look at these clouds you know so that that ability you can take um what could be an utterly humdrum life and uh transform it into this this palace of of delights Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. So w- with the uh with the airport, that the, the trick is you very quickly declare it to be a challenge from the stoic gods and then act on it uh accordingly. Here's an analogy I play up in the book. Um so you know, there was recently this big uh cold freeze down south and in Texas in particular, yeah, and a whole yeah. bunch of people had burst pipes as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's a setback. That's clearly a setback. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a great analogy because when a pipe bursts, what's, what's the setback? The setback is the physically burst pipe. Okay. Uh, but the, the thing that, that really damages you is the flooding <laughs> that subsequently takes place. You know, and if uh, if it's on a second floor uh, bathroom where the pipe bursts, you can have a collapse of the first floor ceiling. Mm-hmm. You can have all of the furniture damaged, and you can imagine the cost. And the same is true when you experience a setback. Setback itself it has a cost, right? But it's the emotions flooding out that do the damage. You know, if you let something make you angry. It's amazing how it goes because I've I've um I've talked to uh, people who have dementia. They can't remember what day of the week it is, they don't know what year it is, but they can tell you in detail of something somebody said 50 years ago that was mean. Mm. They remember that. It sticks with you. And so it can be doing you harm not just in the short run. But for decades, and uh, next time you're tossing and turning in your uh, sleep, you can't fall asleep. um, One of the things that's probably happening is your mind is just going through the list. Okay, here's things that people have done that are mean. uh, And so you're still paying a price. You know, the person who did the mean thing probably doesn't even remember it. And here you are still, you know, years later, losing sleep over that. That's just crazy. How can you, how can you prevent it? One trick is to frame it properly on experiencing it. You nip the anger in the, in the bud doesn't have a chance to develop.
1: So good. Another word that is one of my favorite words and it's in your uh, title is resilience and I was Googling before we hopped on. Uh, The the definition of a resilient person and it said this resilient people are aware of situations, their own emotional reactions and the behavior of those around them. By remaining aware, resilient people can uh, maintain control of a situation and think of new ways to tackle problems. Another characteristic of resilience is the understanding that life is full of challenges. Yep. How perfect is that? Tell me about resilience.
0: Yeah, resilience. The interesting thing is, if you, you know, to pass the stoic test, two things you have to come up with the workaround, you have to stay calm while you do it. You know what? If you can stay calm, it dramatically increases the chance that you're going to come up not just with a a workaround, but with a brilliant workaround. If you're angry and upset, it's going to cloud your thinking process. It's going to make it harder for you to overcome the setback. So by staying calm, it's got Double benefits, number one, it increases the chance of coming up with a great workaround. And number two, uh, it avoids the mo- emotional damage, which in the case of most setbacks is the real price you pay. It's an avoidable price. So don't pay it. And how do you avoid that? You frame, you frame the setback in the appropriate way. Uh, resilience is a superpower. You know, if, if uh, you can have uh, somebody… Um, if you can meet, well, you know, like I said, you reach a strange phase at which being sent back perks you up, right, doesn't right. depress you. Yes. Uh, you know, it'd be like if the coach uh, says, um, OK, uh, Tommy injured his arm. I'm putting you in as a, as a starting picture, pitcher on Tuesday's game. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to say, oh, no, coach, don't do that. You're going to say, oh. You know what? I can now prove to this coach that I'm better than Tommy and I'm going to show him, right? So it's a curious kind of thing, that chance to, uh, to perk up. It just turns a whole bunch of things on their head, things that most people would say, uh, no, that's a bad thing. And uh, if you become miserable, we understand perfectly. And you're in turn saying, no, 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 actually, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um. And we also know people who uh, who are eggs. You know, they aren't they aren't rubber balls. They're eggs, and, and they get hit by a setback, and they're crushed. Uh, another thing to tie into this is the whole notion of failure. If yeah, you're well, resilient, yeah, cool. mm-hmm. yeah. If you're resilient, you can try, fail, bounce back, try again. And you know, at first, that sounds like a recipe for uh, you know frustration. But if you also learn from your failures, if you take something away from them, you try, fail, learn, try again, fail again, but fail better, fail in a better way. Uh, if you look at the history of people who have we regard as great successes in the conventional sense of the word, and I told you there's success in the Stoic sense of the word, that is, did you do… Um, did you do what you could with what you had, where you were? That would be stoic success. But successes in the conventional sense of the word are people who were remarkable for their failure rate. It's just that they were also resilient. Um, and here's the most tragic thing: um, uh, you know, if if I ask people, so I teach college classes, and sometimes I'll ask people to describe uh, their failures to me, and if I have students who say. Well, actually, haven't had very many. I feel so sad for those students because uh, there's a really easy way to avoid failure. If you don't like failure, don't ever try anything hard, yeah. Yeah. and you will avoid failure. Just only do easy things, but that just puts this limit to how high you can climb in whatever it is you're trying to do. Uh, if I talk to somebody and they say, "Yeah, man, have I failed?" and there was this time, and there's this time, and there's this time. I, I would say, ah, that's a person on the way to success. Sure. Uh, because they're resilient. Some people take failure very personally. But if you're a stoic, you say, okay, failure means what? It means it was a stoic test, means what? Means I actually didn't pass in the eyes of the world. But the test continues mm-hmm. because I can take away some important lessons that I can use in the future. And I can use it as an as a um An episode in which I can practice my resilience. Resilience needs to be built. You know, it's like a muscle group. You know, you need to develop it. And the only way you can develop it is by experiencing it and responding to it appropriately.
1: Yeah. One of my favorite uh, interviews, it was with Kobe Bryant a couple of years ago, obviously before he passed, and he was asked how he views failure. And he just simply simply shrugged it off and said, I don't believe in failure. I I don't fail. And the reason I don't fail is because when maybe somebody else would call it failure, I call it a a time for me to learn and grow. So it's kind of that growth mindset, Bill, of just having the idea of like, Maybe failure is not the word he uses, but when somebody says maybe he misses that last second shot or they lose a game, it, instead of it being a loss to him, what he explained was it's just another chance for me to learn and grow to be better and become more resilient.
0: Yeah. Um, the, there's this whole notion of process, of focusing on process, focus on process, not on outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, focus on process, not on goals. Uh, so the championship tournament of basketball every player has the same goal and that is to win the championship every single player has the same goal and yet some do win and some don't um so the the idea is what you need to do is focus on process and have a good process and work hard at that process and if that doesn't do it for you nothing will but you can walk away proud because you can know and to repeat this uh Stoic uh, slogan, the Stoics as far as I I know never said this, but they should have, and that is you do what you can with what you've got where you are because that's all you can do. And if that didn't do the job, hold your head up high and proud because there was nothing more that you could do. Oh, and you had the courage to try something in which failure was possible Oh, and the failure might have been a failure in the eyes of the world, mm-hmm. but you learn from it, you bounced back from it, uh, and, uh, and that itself is, is an accomplishment.
1: Yeah! Wow, there's so much gold nuggets in here, Bill. I appreciate you taking the time. I want to fa- I want to wrap up the episode. I, I like asking these questions. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a I'm a big quote person. I know you're a big big fan of Marcus Aurelius, as I am too. What is your favorite Stoic quote? And tell the listeners why. Do you have a favorite quote that that uh, you like to share? Oh, there's a ton of
0: them. Uh, they, they, uh, <laughs> I they know, have I know. So much that's quotable, but one thing I've been thinking about, uh, lately. So, uh, I'm, I'm in Ohio now and we're, we're just coming out of our, our winter, but I, I found myself using it routinely. And that is Marcus, uh, lying in bed. You know, it's a cold morning and he knows that when he gets out of bed, he's going to be, uh, He's going to be cold for a while and he's going to have to start doing his daily uh, business and, and everything else. And, and uh, what he says to himself is, uh, was I put here so I could stay warm under the blankets? Uh, and, uh, and that's what I think about. That's what I've been thinking about lately when I'm lying there and it's just so comfortable and so cozy. Uh, and, um, and then I just think, no, I'm put here for a bigger purpose than that. I've got business to do I'm going to get up and I'm going to do my business. So that lately has been um, my favorite stoic quote, but there's just a ton of them.
1: There is so many. One one that's been resonating with me a lot recently, and I don't know who said it, maybe you'll be able to tell me, but it's the idea of be tolerant with others and strict with yourself. And I think now with so many things going on with social media, everybody has a different opinion on things. Some people are in crowds and doing other things. And and it kind of just brings me back to, and it gives me a lot of comfort, Bill, to think about being tolerant with others, let them do what they want to do, and then be strict with yourself. And that also goes a couple different ways with training and, and pretty much everything in life. But uh, that's one that's really resonated with me in the last maybe week or two.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, Marcus has this uh, famous quote of when you, when you uh, go out into the world, expect to meet ingrates and, and, and insulters and, and everything else. Uh, It's uh, it's great advice because then when you come across somebody kind and competent, it's like, Whoa, you just (laughs) made my day. Um, But it's also um, he's also the one that said, love mankind. So it's this curious mix and if you do kind of figure out if you've got kind of a handle on life and you you kind of understand how things are working and you see these people who are um, living lives of self-inflicted misery and there are a bunch of different ways you can do that um, that uh, that you you feel sorry you know that that it's it's uh it's sad that 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 would would be that way uh so your uh, another uh, stoic uh, angle here is uh, a, a good way to put your own um, travails and, and challenges into into context is to imagine how you would feel if they happened to somebody else, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, you know you might think, "Oh, this is the worst thing that ever happened." Okay, imagine it's it's. Uh, a bob over there that it happened to and he was fussing about it you'd say oh bob such an idiot you know it's such a little thing so there is that whole idea of, yeah. of distance you know of putting things in other people's um putting it into their life. And then you realize you say, oh, that's no big deal. But when it's in your life, suddenly it becomes a a big deal. Mm -hmm.
1: I wanted to ask one more thing as as I'm kind of taking in all this information here and trying to listen maybe from somebody who is new to stoicism, something that maybe could occur. I don't know if it's a misconception mistake or if this is the right thinking, but is the idea built to try to. Uh, constantly think positive. I think like, you know, we talk about these negative things, quote unquote, that happen. And, and we're trying to come up with ways, these challenges, these really good ideas on how to think more positively, be more positive. In essence, is the idea just to, and I don't want to underplay it, but is the idea to live a more positive seeking, positive viewing life? What are your thoughts on that? Um, you should constantly be seek-
0: seeking silver linings. Cause they're always there Got and it. most people don't even look because from their frame of mind, there couldn't possibly be uh, a silver lining. Uh, so uh, uh, I think I mentioned it, uh, it earlier. So um, uh, I knew for a variety of reasons, I couldn't do a whole bunch of things that I would normally be doing needed more exercise, started mm-hmm. cycling, and it turned out to be a huge uh, silver lining. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, life is full of them. You got to look for them. Uh, The whole COVID epidemic, um, bad news, some people died, terrible, tragic. And yet there were silver linings, you know, of people who are forced to to work at home and then started rethinking. You know, they didn't have the commute, they didn't have all sorts of other uh, things going on, and they started rethinking the way they were living their life. And there's a silver lining that uh, comes out of that. Uh, that there's what, what has been referred to as the anthropos. Uh, people stop driving and, and you know polluting the environment and everything else. And it was sort of like, uh, I read that in India, they could see the Himalaya mountains for the first time in, in decades, uh, silver lining. And not only you know, that they got that view, but it also reminded them of um, the fact that pollution shouldn't simply be taken as, well, it's the way things are. It's the way things are because of choices we've made. And we have our our power uh, to work around that. Uh, one more silver lining, as long as we're in the silver lining game here. Uh, the COVID uh, pandemic could be itself a huge silver lining because it's clear we were caught with our pants down. We didn't have uh, strategy ready. And this could happen again and when it did, it could be massively worse. So, you know, maybe this is the wake-up call we needed. You can you can look at it from that frame of mind. Um, the other thing is um, learn how to embrace the life you find yourself living. Mm. We spend our lives dreaming about having a different life, and the amazing thing is in the paradoxical thing. Is there somebody somewhere who dreams about having the life you are living? Uh, who would that be? Well, I'm talking about somebody who's getting by on $2 uh, a day, you know, and and who has to kind of think about what am I going to have for dinner today, much less tomorrow, and who doesn't have a uh, water, uh, you know, clear water to drink and everything else. Uh, if he could transport himself into your life right now, he would, wow. you know, just mm. just like that, you know. Uh, and yet, if you're normal, you dream. Ah, you know what? If only I could be. So we're all playing this chain game yeah. of wishing we could be in somebody else's life. The Stoic uh, idea was, no, look at your own life. Learn how to savor it. Learn how to appreciate it. Uh, we m- usually take for granted most of what our life has to offer. And if we could only overcome that tendency, then we could uh, we could really savor the life we've got, mm. uh, but w- but we don't. We're fools. Uh, but there's a way
1: around it. That's cool. As we wrap up, I'm just going to close with your, your uh, one of your most famous quotes that I found on Google, and I just loved it. it. Says, "Around the world and throughout the millennia, those who have thought carefully about the workings of desire have recognized this: that the easiest way for us to gain happiness is to learn how to want the things we already have." So. Powerful. I think it's a great place to close this down. Okay, thank you very much
0: for uh, inviting me to chat.
1: Absolutely. If I want to point my listeners into your direction, uh, obviously go get the book, The Stoic Challenge: uh, A Philosopher's Guide to Becoming Tougher, Calmer, and More Resilient. Where else can I point my listeners if they want to learn more? About um,
0: I have a website. I, ha- I keep an extremely low uh, social media presence, but I have a website: William B. Irvin, B as Irvin. dot com. Uh, and it's got more of me than
1: any human should be exposed to. (laughs) Very cool. William, Bill, Bill, thanks for taking the time. It was a, a pleasure to have you on. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. Guys, if you enjoyed the show, make sure to share this with friends, get involved with stoicism. Like you said, three day weekend can change your life. Go check it out. We'll see you guys next week for another episode on the, my fit podcast.